Welcome to the Diving Pod. I'm Brooke Schultz, a diver at South Carolina. And I am Heath Calhoun. And I am Aaron Rooney. And once again, this podcast is brought to you by Sideline Scout. They have mastered the video replay system with Poolside Live. So get over to sidelinescout.com. Check out the packages for Poolside Live and get yourself set up with the best in the business. Uh, it's by far the best money you'll ever spend. So um, get, get yourself the most important tool in diving, and that's video replay from Sideline Scout, the product Poolside Live. Awesome. So just to kind of start off here, Brooke, um, can you please just take us through your journey that you've kind of had throughout diving, um, how you arrived to where you are now at South Carolina, and maybe even uh, go a little bit in depth into your recruiting process. So kind of our young divers can hear what that recruiting process was like for you, maybe what schools you looked at, the visits, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started diving when I was nine. Um, I had a gymnastics background, like many other divers. Um, did that since I was really little. And, um, so my mom was a diver and my dad was a diver and he's a diving coach, obviously. And when he got back into coaching, um, I was still in gymnastics and my parents told me, they're like, Oh, like maybe you'll be a diver. And I was adamant that I was never going to be a diver. (laughs) It wasn't happening. Um, I'm going to be a gymnast. Like diving is not for me. And then like literally two months later, I quit gymnastics and um, started going to the pool and just playing around. So uh, it kind of started like that, just me and my brothers jumping into the deep end, jumping off the diving boards. And uh, I mean, here we are like 14 years later almost. And so, um, yeah, it started out like super casually and then, you know, kind of progressed, went to my first junior nationals the next year. kind of, you know, started to grow through junior diving, did really well there. Um, I think as far as senior diving, I felt like I kind of broke out in like 2017, um, was kind of my breakout year, which was really good timing um, with the new Olympic cycle starting. And so, um, and then the summer of 2017 was right before my freshman year of college. Um, My recruiting process was probably a little bit different than most people. Um, cause I was coached by my dad when I was really young. And then I trained with John Wingfield for a year and a half and then went back to training with my dad. And so, um, I had a couple of college coaches call me or like show interest, but a lot of them kind of knew that I was likely going to stick, um, staying with my dad and he had just moved back to Arkansas, um, before my senior year of high school. And so. Uh, that was like going home because we had moved away for a couple years. So Arkansas was home growing up. So I did um, all my all my undergrad at Arkansas. I competed three years with a red shirt year, my junior year, um, thinking it would be the Olympic year. Turns out it wasn't. Thank you to the pandemic. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then last year, um, you know, situations changed and this job came up for him in South Carolina and that combined with, I was getting ready to graduate and they had this great master's program here that I was really interested in. So the stars all kind of aligned there. And so I just got here in January, but it's been great. Very good. That's, that's awesome. So I did have a, you know, um, just a follow-up question. You know, you had mentioned that you dove with your dad and then you dove a little bit with John Wingfield. 
what was the the difference there like between the two coaches um you know whether it's positive or negative um just right. going from your dad to john um john is incredibly knowledgeable about diving so everything was like so like scientific and technical which is really interesting perspective mm-hmm. um and it was a very different environment because before i had gone to train with john Um, I was in public school. I was training a couple hours, like five days a week at night after class. And um, then moving to John, it was like, I would go to school in the morning for like an hour and then we'd train all day. And then I would do online school at night. So it was just a very different training dynamic in that sense as well. Wonderful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So my next question is kind of, uh, kind of funny here. I just wrote, how does it feel to be amazing at diving? Um, I, uh, I had the privilege of watching you. Uh, I believe it was in 2000. I don't even remember the date, but it was a, it was a zones meet for division one. And I was at the pool at the university of Minnesota and I was watching warm up and, um, I saw you do a front three and a half on one meter. And it was like, Oh my word. I've never seen any female be able to do that dive as well as that stunt. I still have it on my phone and the caption, I, the caption I put like, yeah, that'll work. I swear it was an 80 point dive. It was the first one I've ever seen. I looked over and you had a teammate in the stands and I looked at her and I go, who is that? That (laughs) was incredible. And so she mentioned your name was Brooke Schultz. And so like to this day, Right now, talking to you, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the girl who does front three and a half. This is, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to talk to you. So, um, what uh, what separates you from other divers? What do you think are your strengths and um, things that you bring to the pool? Um, I mean, definitely, like the degree of difficulty. Um, I've worked on, you know, adding over the years and sometimes I have big dives like front three and a half on one meter in my list. And sometimes I don't, um, kind of depends on if I'm training them consistently, how they're going and training and that sort of thing. Um, I definitely think that was, uh, one of the things that 2014 was the first time I competed like reverse two and a half on one meter. Um, like I was 15 and at that time, like that wasn't really all that common for girls. Um, nowadays, you'll see four, five, six of them in a meet, um, which is really exciting. But um, yeah, I guess maybe that's something that separates me. A lot of these dives, I've been training my three meter list and my big dives on one meter for seven or eight years now. So I've had lots of practice at them, which I think, you know, nothing beats repetition and um, doing them over and over and over again and doing them in many different pools. So I think that's something that's definitely helped me a lot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of going back here to just the coaching side of things, you know, what was it like to have your dad as your coach for such a long period of time? Talk a little bit about that relationship and the positives and negatives that maybe came from that, um, him being your coach for so long and through your age group and then also through your college years. Right. Yeah. It's definitely been really interesting. I mean, we've had our ups and downs, I think, you know, probably like most coaches and athletes, it's a little bit different. Um, and it's definitely been something that we've had to navigate over the years. Um, you know, we work on trying to separate like 
diving and like home and everything, um, which is sometimes really challenging because diving has been such a big part of my life for so long and it's something we have in common. So even when we try to separate it, oftentimes the conversation comes back to it one way or another. Um, so handling that and trying to figure out how to, um, you know, have that time as father and daughter is, um, something that we've had to work on. And I think we, um, do a pretty good job of it, but it's also been such a blessing because, you know, we've been able to travel to so many countries around the world, um, and do things like that, that we wouldn't have otherwise. So that's been incredibly, incredibly special. Would you say you guys are, are, I, it's, it's hard to say the word friends, right? You know, you, you, you respect your parents, you respect your coaches, but like you said, you've been able to travel to all these places around the world and dealing with that athlete and parent balance, all of that. I just feel like, you know, there's gotta be a closeness there. Yeah, no, I mean, we're definitely close. I mean, you can't, um, I mean, I think he's coached me 12, almost 13 years now. So you definitely (laughs) can't go that long without that relationship for sure. So um, yeah, but I think we do a fairly good job of like separating it, um, from the pool and, you know, there's tough days as, um, you have with a coach and, you know, they have to push you and everything at some point. So, you know, we do a good job of kind of separating that and, um, working on keeping that, yeah. um, that side of it, you know, knowing that's, that's the coach role. Yeah. And well, another, another follow-up to that, I think everybody that is involved with any kind of coaching or any kind of sport at a high level is passionate about, you know, maybe one day I'll have kids. Maybe those kids will have the same interest in as, as I do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as you dealt with that, with your father, was there any times where you, you like had a code word or like a secret, like, you know, when I flip my hair on deck, it's like, Hey dad, just let me, let me be, let me do my thing. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, no. I can't really think of anything like that, but over the years, we definitely like have figured out how to read each other. Um, You know, he knows me better than probably most people, if everybody else in the entire world. Um, So especially over the years, he's learned how to read me and he typically knows my mood and knows what I need as far as diving and all that goes. So there's kind of that unspokenness and we have a lot of similarities about us. So, um, like he gets me. And so that's something that's, uh, you know, sometimes I don't think about, but, um, it's definitely really special. Yeah, for sure. The the reason I asked that is, uh, my, my girlfriend was a really good softball player and her dad was her coach and Uh she would be on the mound pitching. And it was like, all right, dad, I'm, I'm done with you right now. And she would tug her (laughs) ear. She would look at the dugout. She would tug her ear and it was like, all right, I, I should, I should stop talking because she's probably going to rip my head off. <laughs> that is really funny. Maybe I should have thought of something like that sooner. <laughs> That's good. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So Brooke, you've had a ton of success at big competitions. You know, um, it's kind of a two-parter. What does that routine look like for you during the meets? And maybe even a little bit of insight as to what does it look like leading up to those meets and how you're preparing, whether it's, just you personally or in the confines of practice with your coach, whatever it may be. So kind of during the meet and what's leading up to the meet, are you doing to prepare for that? Yeah. So leading up to big meets, you know, we kind of, 
we shift from more, obviously we're doing optionals and things like that, but we shift from more reps to practicing lists and scoring lists and stuff, which is not always my favorite thing. Sometimes it's not too bad. And sometimes I'm like, oh, again, but it's definitely something that helps me. And in practice, he really likes to play this game where he'll be like, you'll get up there and he'll be like, needing 72 points to win NCAAs. Breck Schultz doing 405B, silly things like that all the time. And then my freshman year, I get up on the board and I didn't know exactly what it was, but like I had been watching the scores and they knew I needed like 60, like high 60s. And so in my head, I was like, okay, we've got to at least get 72, like to be for sure that you'll win, right? Right. And so I got up there and like did it for 72 and like literally one of the first things he said, he was like, see, it's like in practice. <laughs> so it's literally was like one of those scenarios that um, it was. So things like that, you know, we mm-hmm. uh, do lots of lists and score them and average them. And, you know, there's been times where I get to meet where um, I remember one year, I think it might've been 2017. I was like consistently like 320, 325, every list. And I got there and through three lists, I averaged 375. Wow. So um, it's that practice that kind of gets you into the meat mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I get to the meat, um, sometimes it depends. Uh, during the competition, I definitely develop a little bit of superstition. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing specific necessarily, but like once I get through my first round, like wherever I sit, whatever diver I go up on, like whatever I do the first round, like I have to do it every round, unless my first dive is bad, then I have to switch it up. Like that was the reason, obviously. Yep. Yep. Um, No. So I definitely get little things like that. And so I'm a creature of habit. And so um, I got to change the book from the same way. got to step up with the same leg, all, all that stuff um, happens whenever I'm in the competition. That's kind of cool. So I had a follow up to that. (laughs) I am, was always like you and I wasn't nearly as talented as you were, but, um, you said you scoreboard watch is, is that something you do all the time? Because I always had to know where I was, but I'm, I'm gathering that some of you top tier divers, like it's the opposite. Right. Well, it, it depends. I, I didn't scoreboard watch for a really long time. Um, and it kind of started right before I got to college and I still don't do it all the time. Um, I was in a meet and like, I knew I was doing well and I had won like a prelim and then it wasn't, but I didn't really look at the scores, like analyze them. And it wasn't until like halfway through like the semifinal that evening that I like looked up and I was like, Oh, I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> like, this is good. <laughs> And so from that, that kind of like broke my superstition of it. Right. Um, so now sometimes I'll watch the scores. Um, sometimes I won't, it just depends on how the meet is going. Really. I have a funny story actually. So my freshman year at SECs, um, so the zone meet at Minnesota was my freshman year. So that was like a few weeks later, my freshman year at SECs, I did my first dive on one meter I think it was Frenchian. It was Frenchian up like, I think for 20 points, it was so bad. <laughs> I was in dead last. 
And I sat there and I was like looking on my phone and I was looking at dive meets and I was saying, I think my first thought was, well, there goes my evening. Like there's no way I'm making it back for the final. (laughs) And then my second thought was, Hey, you're doing front three and a half next. If you get straight tens, you'll be at like 110 points right back in it. Yep. Yes. Now that didn't happen. But (laughs) so it's like things like that where I'll start calculating if I'm down, I'll be like, okay. Just a little mm-hmm. bit more just so yeah that was my that's my story that's awesome yeah if i had a front three and a half in the list i would be really optimistic as well with my scores right? <laughs> it didn't go well in prelims finals though it went it was really good so yeah. that was that was encouraging um so how have you seen women's diving change over the years and what have you done to adapt? You know, you mentioned degree of difficulty and, you know, we watched division one women this year and we had a ton of reverse three and a half or two and a half on one meter and, you know, constantly pushing the envelope. What would you say you're doing to adapt? And, and again, how would, how would you say women's diving has changed? Um, women's diving is changing every year, I think, especially at the collegiate level. Um, you know, we've seen reverse two and a halves for a while now, and um, now you're seeing more inward two and a halves and front three and a halves on one meter. Um, you're seeing more and more pike lists every year on three meter. Um, so for me, I think it's kind of trying to find the balance of um, where do I upgrade and where do I stick with like what I know is safe. Um, like I was saying earlier with the like front three and a half, it's like if it's going well in training. Um, you know, it might be something I compete, but at the same time, it's recognizing, is it worth the risk and, um, figuring that out, like, um, is it going to outscore my reverse twister or whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever dive is, um, it would be in place of. So I think that's kind of, you know, how I'm adapting is, um, you know, working on, working on big dives and trying to make them consistent, but also, um, balancing out my list and, um, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Awesome. So I guess, uh, you know, it kind of leads into what is next. Are you planning to stay in diving train for Paris? Um, do you still have another year of eligibility with the NCAA? I think if I was going to say, I think if I did the math, right, you, you had four years at Arkansas with a red shirt and then you have the COVID year, correct? So, Awesome. So, so what is, uh, what's the future look like as far as your athletic career specifically? Right. So immediately, um, I have world championships. So I qualified on one meter, um, which I'm really excited for because I went to Budapest in 2017 and I loved it. So very excited to go back. Um, yeah. And then, like you said, I have my sixth year, um, to get me through my eligibility. Um, and then after that, so I started my master's I'll finish my master's next May. Um, and then kind of a bit like, like there is like, I guess it's just a little unknown right now as to like, where am I going to find a job and all of that stuff. So that's actually been something I've been trying to sort through like recently as the college season has come to an end and it's kind of time to look at the next season and everything is trying to figure out, um, I could add on time to my school and stay here and take me through my eligibility or graduate. So my life is kind of um, up in the air right now. So I guess like next year I'll have more of an idea of 
um, where I'll be, where I'll be working or doing or whatever um, for the year leading up into Paris. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. So the next one I have here is uh, what, what's something you would tell a young diver that's aspiring to be great? What's one little nugget that they could take from Brooke Schultz? Oh, I think it's super important to be patient, especially as you're learning new dives and trying new things. Um, being patient with yourself is really important. Um, the timing will come when it's supposed to happen. And um, yeah, the dives will get there. It just takes time. And sometimes it's, it's really hard because you want a quick answer, but um, you know, it'll come around eventually. Uh, for me, it took, like when I learned my three meter list, I learned a pike list in 2014 and it wasn't until it took me three years to get that consistent. So it's just that time. I think that you've got to um, be patient with yourself and there will be ups and downs um, in meets and in practice through it all, but it'll, it'll all come around and click eventually. That's awesome. I love, I love that answer. That's such a great answer. So, um, you've kind of touched base on it real quick, but what are you studying? What did you study in school at Arkansas? And now what are you working on your master's in, um, in your plans when your diving career is done? Like what, what field do you want to be in? Yeah. So, um, at Arkansas, I didn't know what I wanted to do, <laughs> um, yep. but I did a business management uh, major and then I did a marketing and an analytics minor. Um, and so now I'm doing like a sport management, um, master's degree um which is really cool because i've got some really cool professors here um which is really exciting and so then i think right now i think i want to work in college athletics and um you know i grew up with sports grew up in diving um by the, by the time it's all said and done i'll spent six years as a student athlete so it's something that um i know a lot about at this point and i'm interested in so something something still in the sports world for sure not awesome. a coach i don't have the patience for that but <laughs> but something else awesome awesome you you mentioned you need to you need to have patience to be a diver and i you know patience to be a, but coach. It's a different a different kind of patience <laughs> yeah absolutely um so we when we put this outline together we try to think of good questions to kind of help our listeners and one of the things that I thought about was, um, you know, have you had any struggles with the mental side of diving? How did you work through that to overcome them? And then I think a, a question that I like to ask for our listeners to hear the answer, because I, I typically know the answer, not always, but was that a process that like once it was fixed, it was fixed forever? Or is that something you're constantly working through? Yeah, the mental side of diving is certainly the most challenging part for me, especially at this point. Um, like diving or it, it hasn't just been in diving. I kind of went through it in gymnastics too. I had so many mental blocks as a gymnast. I could do a lot of things, but I like wouldn't do a back handspring on the floor or something. And then <laughs> like I would go to diving and it was a lot of the same thing. And it's been something like I've struggled with and um, like since I started. Um, and it's kind of something that has like ebbed and flowed throughout the year. Um, but like to this day, it is definitely still a struggle for me, um, mentally and 
honestly, I still don't even know why. Cause I, that's what frustrates me is I will be like, yeah. man, what is it about inwards? Inwards is my thing <laughs> that I don't know why. Cause it's my best dive. Oh, it's good. It's great. Yeah. But, um, inwards has been my thing that has like plagued me throughout like my whole diving career. Um, right. like I've always been really bad at learning new dives. Um, and like trusting myself. And honestly, at this point, it's just muscle memory. Um, I mean, I've talked to sports psychologists throughout mm-hmm. the years and um, some of that's helped and everything. I think at the end of the day, I, I dive best when I'm not thinking at yeah. this point for me. Um, Cause like I said, I've been doing these dives for eight years. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, but the mental side of diving is certainly um, a challenge. And yeah. so, uh, something I work through every day. <laughs> so that's, that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome to hear. Honestly. Um, I'm super happy you like touched on it because I, I didn't even, uh, it probably won't mean a whole lot to you, but I still remember watching like Olympic trials and I'm like, Oh, she's so good. Like, why is she on the board? And then uh-huh. I watched you at the sec championship this year. And I'm like, Oh, you went so fast. I was like, that's awesome to see that, like <laughs> that improvement, like, yeah, you know, it probably doesn't mean a ton hearing it from like me or Aaron, but it's like when you no, get to I see that, to it's that. it's so cool to see. And and I I thought of that question. I'm like, I feel like that's probably something you've always battled. And and I think mm-hmm. it's important for our listeners to hear like it's a daily struggle for you. It's something you're always working through. And yeah. and you are at the top of the ladder in terms of women's diving. And for our listeners that are not there right now and maybe one day want to be to hear that. I think it's so important that they hear that from you. So thank you so much for sharing that. No, of course. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's something like it's in practice. It's it, it, it does get worse than me. So I am like always better in practice, which is the weird thing, but yeah, it's something that I'll be like, okay, this is going to be the one, like I'm going to be good <laughs> on this one. Um, so yeah, there's good days. There's bad days, but yep. Hey, it's, it's part of the sport and it's a real thing that people go through. And so yep. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to add a question that's not on the, uh, the outline here, but you guys had a really fun situation that wasn't so fun that you made fun at zones. What happened at zones in the parking <laughs> lot with the whole karaoke? And yeah. I, I, I saw an Instagram post. I'm like, that looks so much fun, but right? I'm sure that was not a fun experience. Um, so we, that morning we had, I think my workout was like the second workout group. And we pulled up to the pool and the fire alarm was going off. And they're like, you can't go inside. And it was, I think, 10 minutes before the first workout group started, but the pool was open. So some people had already been in the pool, had to get out, go outside. And it was, it was pretty cold out, honestly. I was cold when I was dry. So then we go back in and we're stretching, we're warming up. And the fire alarm goes off again, like halfway through the first group's warm up. So everybody had to go outside. They sent everyone outside and the Georgia tech divers just got a new karaoke machine. So they snuck back in through the back door to get it, brought it out. Um, so, you know, it was a really funny, um, and we had a blast, but, uh, we were all like, you know what, like, let's just stay out here and play karaoke. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so the fire alarm went off and I think we ended up my like 50 minute warm up that we were supposed to be there. I think I was there for like three hours just to yes. get through the warm up. But that was the last time it went off and everything. And then we got on with zones. But yeah, well, that was it, 
it was a pretty cool like diver situation, right? We're all kind yeah. of the same breed of human and we all like to have fun. And it seems like everybody's always trying to make a good situation out of something that maybe isn't so, isn't so fun. So it was cool to see that at the top level of like, mm-hmm. Hey, we're all competitors, but we're all doing the same sport. We're all the same. Like, yeah. let's just have fun. And that was awesome for me to see. Yeah. I love that. I think my favorite part was like every little karaoke duo that we had was like people from different teams. It was never like one team on or anything like that. So that was really cool to see. Yeah. It, it definitely speaks to our sport. You know, it, it just mm-hmm. truly seems like there's a genuine camaraderie, whether you're on this team or that. And it's, it's just so fun to see and embrace. I love it. It's such a, it's such a different dynamic. I, I'll talk to swimmers and they're like, wait, like, you know, so-and-so from like literally the other side of the country. And I'm like, oh yeah, we've known each other for like 10 years. Yeah. Yep. It's great. I love that. It's pretty cool. So we'll get into our signature questions now. Uh, on this podcast, we treat failure just like an opportunity for growth. You know, you win or you learn. Uh, so what would you say is your favorite failure or your best opportunity for growth? Hmm. I think there's, there's been like a couple of meets like nationals, um, in particular where I think like my goal will hit would have been, um, actually, can I give you two? Yeah. They're very different. Okay. So actually they're the same, but they're different. So one is like after like I kind of started getting better and um, doing well at seniors whenever I would like have a goal of making a world cup team or making whatever team. And then I didn't perform well. I always found that I was the most motivated, like coming out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of always been something that pushed me um, and has really helped. Another one was that I like think about and it kind of like, lets me know how far I've come was, um, 24, yep. 2014. Um, it was like winter nationals. I had just learned my pike list and everything. And I start my list with full out. And so I did a full out. It was really good. Um, and I was like tied for first, it was like 67 points. And by the end of the meet, I scored like one 70 something or 180 like I went like 120 points on like the rest of my dives like it was straight twos from there on out and I was like 41st by the end of it like I went from first I watched myself just fall every round and so that was definitely a learning experience for me um to I learned a lot about my like preparation um, from that, like, I didn't really like the day of, and that sort of thing. Um, I feel like I didn't prepare the way I needed to. Um, so I learned like that kind of side of it, but, um, it was also just something that was like eye opening for me, um, moving forward. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, Very good. So the next question here, I always ask whatever diving arena you come from, how can that place improve there's always room for improvement everywhere whether it's usa diving ncaa um you know fina internationally so in your world the ncaa what sticks out to you in any way that ncaa can improve whether it's meat structure or however you want to take that i think it's 
like how they structure like zones. I don't know if you guys have heard this before, but I've talked to a lot of people about it. Um, like our qualifications for nationals, I don't really know the right way to do it, but it's always, um, it's definitely like challenging because you can go through the entire season and you have, you got one shot to make it. Mm -hmm. um, so where as it's really different dynamic because you're on like a swim and dive team and the swimmers have all season long to get their score to make NCAAs. So I think that's something I think about often is, you know, going to zones and you've got 60 divers, or I think zone A had like 79 divers yeah. this year. Yeah. Insane for like five spots. Um, so yeah, and it's just a very quick turnaround from zones to NCAA. So I don't know what the answer is, but, yeah. um, but in the NCAA, yeah. You're, you're looking for something that encompasses a more season-long uh, consistent, if, if yeah. I'm reading into that, right? Yeah, like, I'm, well, I think that, or like, do you somehow pick people from conference and like mm -hmm. a zone, you know, kind of like a two-part championship season thing? I don't know, but sure. um, yeah, I just think if there's something to improve, like that's definitely one thing that comes to mind. Well, yeah, that, I mean, and that's, so Heath and I are in the division two world. I'm a, a judge in that world and Heath is a coach and we have a, a meet, everybody calls it black Tuesday other than Clarion. Of course they call it just another day in the office, but, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's a similar story. We're hearing from everybody across the board. The zone meet is kind of a nightmare with all the people that are there, the one chance to qualify. And then the Tuesday meet, similarly, everybody's there one chance. You're either on on that day or you're not. Mm -hmm. um, so across the board, it just seems like the whole structure, whether it's one day or, you know, it, it just seems like something needs to be revamped and there needs to be a consistency element where it's not, it's not there right now. You know, obviously you're, you're, best divers are they're going to show up they're going to show mm -hmm. out everybody knows that there's probably a top let's call it 20 uh, but the rest of them it's it's like hey we need something that's more consistent not only on one day but the whole season and yeah. it's just not there right no yeah i agree and it's it's definitely challenging it's been really interesting for me to come in because so my first i guess three years of college diving i was in zone d which isn't, that was a tough zone for sure. Um, I mean, and then I moved to zone B also a tough zone. Um, you know, zone D we consistently had 13 spots, 12 spots on, on an event. And, um, there was one year actually my sophomore year that, um, the meet was really tough and I didn't have a good list in like the prelim and Sarah Bacon's in that zone. And she didn't have a good list. After the prelim, we were in like 13th and 15th place or something like ridiculous like that. Um, but it just kind of like went to show like how uh, challenging the zone was. I, one of my teammates was uh, just, she just missed NCAAs, but her score was like second at some of the other zones. So um, yeah, so that was like really tough because she, great diver. She had um, scored at NCAAs the year before and then didn't make it the next year. Um, I mean, that's diving, but at the same time, the structure, it just makes it tough for, for yeah. divers like that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I actually thought of a question as we were going through here. So I'm going to add it now is, uh, if you didn't dive for your dad, what is a, 
who is the diving coach that you're like, man, I really wish I was diving for them. Oh, Hmm. I don't know. Can I come back to that question? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can circle back to that one at the end here. Um, so as an athlete, what is your favorite drill to do that you think has benefited you the most? That's benefited me the most, like in the pool or yeah, in- it could be in the pool or dry land, whatever you think, whatever has benefited you the most or your favorite one, whichever you prefer. Um, honestly, probably like lineup drills. That's been like, <laughs> that's probably a really boring answer. No, that's a good answer. Trying to learn how to rip has been like, that's not something that comes naturally to me. Um, I was always so bad at vaults and junior diving. Um, that was, that was a huge struggle. I'd be trying to, you know, start my optionals from 20 points down or something after volunteers, um, for some odd reason, like lineups and optionals come easier to me. (laughs) Um, no, I guess just like lineup drills. I've had to do so many to sort of figure it out and it's, it's come a long way, but it's, it's still a work in progress every single day. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, so what is the best advice you have either given or received up to this point? And it doesn't have to be athletic related. It could be anything. Um, so the first thing that comes to mind that, um, when I was diving for John, um, was we were doing like, he has his camp and like, we were talking to some of the campers one day, I think. Um, and I just very vividly remember him saying um, something about how, you know, you can't have good days without bad days. Um, and I think that pertains to diving so much because, you know, if you don't have bad days, then they're all just days. And so, um, you know, it's those tough days that you kind of have to push through because um, that's what separates them and the good ones and makes them good. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, it's just something I think about, especially, uh, through those rough days, it's like, okay, got to get through today, but there's a good day on the other side of it. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's that's great advice. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, so before we get to, uh, your other coach to get your answer is who would you want to hear us interview next? Who would be an interesting interview for us to reach out and try to interview? Hmm. I thought about this. But I, I, still, I still haven't come up with like a firm answer. You can um, have as many as you want. Our list is like huge from everybody who's been on and we just keep messaging it? them and hoping we get answers. Um, somebody who I kind of like looked up to growing up. I saw her um, at practice and she would, or at practice in Indiana when she would help me, Kelsey Bryant. Oh Yeah. Yeah, uh, like I remember I, when I was little, I'd go up to the National Training Center every once in a while and, you know, kind of going back to the mental struggles, I was struggling to learn dives and she would get up there. She was so patient with me, so nice. And she'd be like, we're going to do it, Synchro. You can do it. Like, nope. so kind. Um, so that's always been great. She's always been so nice for me. So I'm sure she'd be really interesting to get her perspective. On Perfect. On diving. Perfect. So, and then we're going to circle back now and who would be yeah. the one coach you would want to dive for if it wasn't your dad? Oh man. Um, I'm sorry. That is so hard. <laughs> I'm like running through coaches in my head. 
because I've definitely like I've had coaches kind of coach me at international competitions mm-hmm. or something. Is that a cop out answer? If, if they've no, not at all. Anything? No, no, just just someone that maybe like you're like, wow, I like how they coach, or you've clicked with them before. I'm just curious as to um, what your answer would be. Honestly, it's because I'm hoping that coach listens and they're like, dang, like if her dad wasn't coaching, she would have been here diving for me. Okay, well, um, one coach that I've had like so much fun diving with at international meets actually was Mandy Hickson, which I think is interesting. Yeah. I've always like, I've dove well, we have kind of this good dynamic. Um, you know, she likes to tease my dad. She's like, you know, I think she's won inter- more international medals with me. <laughs> you know? It's pretty That's funny. Awesome. And obviously she coached Michael growing up. So she also kind of understands that, um, yep. you know, parent at like, child uh relationship when it comes to that so we've kind of always had a fun dynamic whenever she's coached me at meets and that's been really fun that's awesome yeah that's a great answer um so so first and foremost from me brooke thank you so much for joining us i know this was like a uh, this was a bucket list interview for aaron on one of our like very first podcasts he's like my favorite female diver to watch is brooke schultz Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. You, have send me that. you have to like message me that video that you have. I, I'm really I curious because I don't remember that oh, well. It was, it was insane. It was, it was in warmups too. It wasn't okay. even in the meet. I was watching warmups and I just happened to have my phone out and like, yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm from Minnesota and I I'm from the middle of nowhere, Minnesota. So we go down to the U of M and every once in a while there's good diving. I was like, Oh my gosh, right. all these people are amazing. Like, even spotting drills, like some of the guys were doing double bouncing reverse one and a half tuck on one meter. And they, I mean, the guys they're kicking at the water, they're kicking down at the board. That's almost behind them. And I'm like, how do they go that high? How do they do that? And so I just, I just pushed play on my phone and I happened to catch that. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was unreal. I'll I'll also send you my one from SEC it's freshman year. Like that's one of the ones I'm most proud of for sure. Yes. I'm excited. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much. Um, so for our listeners, before Aaron kind of does our send off, um, once again, we have our camps and clinics on our link tree. Um, still, as of now, Clarion's the only one. Um, again, if coaches are listening, we'll do it for free and put them on our link tree. All you have to do is reach out to us so we can ask you questions about your camp in case people message us. So reach out to us if you'd like that advertised. We're more than willing to help with that. And uh, once again, thank you so much, Brooke. Of course. Thank you guys. Yeah. And uh, if you're out there listening, hit us up on Instagram. We are at the diving pod. Our email is the diving pod at gmail.com. Again, in our link tree, we have t-shirts and hoodies for sale from Cowing Robards. Just enter the coupon code dive pod at checkout. That gets you free shipping. Uh, once again, just wanted to say thanks again, Brooke. This was a dream come true for me. I was excited to talk to you. Uh, kind of nice to put a face to like a, a figure in my brain as far as a diving personality. So thanks again. Yes, of course. It was so nice talking to y'all. All right. We'll see you next time.